0: Hey community of faith, it's uh it's an interesting time, isn't it? We're learning a lot of new things, we're finding out new things about ourselves. This is a whole completely new experience for me to communicate to a camera that's being broadcast to you today. And um, so it's a little bit uncomfortable for me. It may be a little bit uncomfortable for you. Maybe it's a new norm. There's some adjustments that are happening. Um, and so I'm gonna miss not seeing you in person, but I know that we'll all get to see each other uh, hopefully very soon. Um, but we're learning a lot right now. This has been an interesting time. There's been some funny things. There's been some very interesting memes that I think we've all been able to see on social media or on the internet. I've read some over the last couple of weeks, some of my favorites. One I saw um, just yesterday, it said, thoughts and prayers going out to all of the married men who have spent months telling their wife, I'll do that when I've got time. Um, I know that that's a reality for me now. Um, the other one I saw that was um, pretty funny in my mind, it said, if you needed to stock up on 144 rolls of toilet paper, you needed to go see a doctor long before COVID-19 ever became something that we were concerned with. Um, I've learned that with Zoom calls, I have spent a lot of time actually watching myself. And I don't know what that says about me, um, but it's kind of weird. You know, Go back to maybe that first time you heard yourself uh, in audio form. Maybe you heard a recording of yourself talking or singing and your voice sounded different than what you thought it would sound like. That's kind of what I feel like I've experienced the last couple of weeks with Zoom meetings and FaceTime calls is um, I'm watching myself and my mannerisms and they're just different than what I've always thought they were. And so that's been an intriguing thing for me. Um, Also, from uh, everything that I can tell so far, the uh, stay-at-home order is not helping me develop any type of infection with COVID-19, but it is helping me put on my COVID-19, if you know what I'm saying. And so uh, there's just a lot of crazy things going on, a lot of funny, um, some not so funny, but I know that it's also a time where we're concerned um, we're overwhelmed. We're, we're struggling to wrap our minds around reality and where we find ourselves now. The other thing that's interesting is we've got a lot of time to think about these things. We've got a lot of time to process and to, to think and to uh, determine what is going on around us, what is going to happen in the future, some of the stuff that's happened in the last few days. And it's brought us to a place where maybe we're a little bit overwhelmed. I mean, just a few weeks ago, life for you was probably really good. Maybe things were going well in your family, going well with your kids, going well at work, going well at school. And now all of a sudden, everything's just kind of come to a screeching halt. And you begin to think and you begin to process and think, man, this isn't as good as uh, I thought it was going to be just a few weeks ago. And now we find ourselves, we're starting to have a lot of interesting thoughts. Uh, Maybe life wasn't good even before this hit. So this whole COVID-19, coronavirus has now added a really destructive layer on top of a lot of other dysfunction, a lot of other hurt, a lot of other concerns, maybe some situations that weren't great. Maybe, maybe you find yourself in isolation right now in, in ways that you never expected you would. Maybe you were dealing with a diagnosis, or maybe you were dealing with an addiction, or dealing with some family dysfunction a month, two months ago, maybe last year, maybe for a really long season in your life, and now you add this layer of fear and concern about the future, about the economy on top of that. And it just feels completely overwhelming. And we have to decide how we're gonna navigate through this. What do we do with this? What do we we think about? What do we allow our thoughts to be controlled by? You know, oftentimes I hear the question, I've heard it a lot this week. There's been a lot of questions people are asking about this scenario, this situation, everything that's going on in our society. And I've heard the question, Why would a good God let these sorts of things happen? You know, you just heard Mark talk about the will of God, and the will of God is good, and we can trust Him. If God is so good, and if I can trust Him, then why are we going through what we're going through? I read a couple years ago a story about Ted Turner, and, and many of you know who Ted Turner is. He created CNN, TBS. He's the owner of the Atlanta Braves. It's just been incredibly successful in his pursuits professionally. But this article was an exhaustive article, kind of a, a mini biography of his life. And in that, there was some um, description of what his early years looked like. And he was, uh, he was uh, one of two kids, um, and he had a, a sister who was younger than him that was diagnosed with lupus when she was 12. And so she was in constant pain. There was, um, she was dealing with nausea and vomiting almost daily. It was just this persistent assault on her body. And it talked about how Ted would come home from school and he would hold her hand and he would pray and just ask that God would take it away, that God would do whatever he needed to do. He needed a miracle in his sister's life. His sister would pray the opposite. His sister would just pray that God would take her life because she was just miserable. She felt constantly defeated by this disease that was wrecking havoc in her life. Eventually, his sister passed away from the difficulties of the disease And Ed Turner, Ted Turner's dad, said this. He said, if that's the type of God that he is, then I want nothing to do with him. Ted followed up and said, I was taught that God was love and God was powerful. I can't understand how someone so innocent should be made or allowed to suffer so. You know, what's interesting is that Ted was actually a pretty committed follower of Jesus in his high school days. So much so that he even desired to maybe be a missionary one day on the mission field. But as he walked through this, his faith in God, his belief in God, began to kind of fall back. And he found himself in a place in his early 20s where he was a devout atheist, a very outspoken atheist. In March of 1963, Ed Turner, Ted's dad, had breakfast with his wife, went upstairs and took his own life. And that sealed the deal for Ted. And he said, man, there's no way that there's this good God who would allow these types of things to happen in our lives. And I think it kind of forces us to ask this, the same question because many of us maybe have dealt with some of the same thing. Maybe we're starting to really feel something that heavy in our life today, even with what we're going through together. And so as we navigate this, we have to make a decision on how we're going to navigate this. Where are we gonna put our focus? When life disappoints us, when life disappoints you, when it disappoints me, how can I trust God? How can I trust that God is good and he is for me? Well, as Mark said just a minute ago, God is good and we can trust him. We can trust his will because his will is good. And so I want to just kind of throw this statement as we jump into a passage in John. And it's this, if it's not good, then God's not done. If God is good and I can trust him, then if it's not good, God's not done yet. There's still more he's doing. There's still more he's working towards. There's still more that he's wanting to accomplish. And so we have to make a decision because we can choose to lose our faith like Ted Turner lost his faith. We can choose to not really press into it, to not really go to God with our concerns, with our desires, with our overwhelming thoughts We're fear that as we press in, maybe we'll be disappointed in what we may find. We're fearful that maybe as we begin to press in, maybe this faith thing just isn't really all we thought it was. And so for fear of finding that out, we just say, you know what, I'm just gonna kind of navigate and kind of coast through this and try to make my way through the end of this. Or we can begin to press deeper into our faith, And that's the challenge for today is that we would press in deeper into our faith, that we would see this as an opportunity for Jesus to work in our lives to form and shape us in a way that maybe he never has. I mean, what if he would do that in our entire nation, in the entire world, that he would use this pandemic to do a work that's only of him? Because if it's not good, he's not done. And I believe he wants to do great things through this. And so what I want to do today is I want to look at a story from John chapter 11, starting in verse one. It's a story about a man named Lazarus. And maybe you know the story of Lazarus. It's it's a, it's a long story. It's a common story. It's a story that we've all heard maybe in different ways. But I want us to just kind of take everything we know about this story and just kind of throw it out the window for a second. And let's just... Look at this with a new lens, with a new perspective, without any pre understanding of what happens in the story. I'm gonna start in verse one. It says this It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. Now we know that he was super sick. I mean, Lazarus is, I see you sick. This is not where you want to be when it comes to illness. This was a violent sickness that Lazarus was suffering from. It continues on. It says that he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. You know, it's interesting. When we have a legitimate, drastic terrifying, overwhelming problem. Even if we don't have any sort of faith in this man named Jesus, oftentimes our natural tendency is to run to Jesus in our desperation, saying, I don't have the the power. I don't have the ability to do anything in this situation. So, you know, what have I got to lose? Jesus, will you help me in this? And I think it's almost that mindset that Mary and Martha are going to Jesus. They're wanting Jesus to know about their situation. They want him to know that, hey, we're desperate here. We need you to do something because we're not able to do anything on our own. And maybe they had tried some things with Lazarus to try to remedy the situation, to remedy his illness, but he finds himself in a place where he is on the edge of death. And in their desperation, they call out to Jesus. They want to get Jesus's attention. We do the same thing. When life gets desperate, we call on him. I can think about some of the things in my own life, some of the moments of desperation that I've walked through. My, my freshman year of high school, my mom went through some devastating physical Um, health conditions, and it it shook my world up. In my kind of self-centeredness as a teenager, I began to get frustrated because life was different. All of a sudden, I had to take different responsibilities. I had to navigate life a little bit differently as my mom began to regain her health and walk through a season where she was near death. I think back to a season right after I got out of high school, where my parents decided that they were going to get a divorce, and it was a devastating time for me because it wasn't something I ever expected to happen. I couldn't believe it was happening. I was frustrated. I was upset. I was even a little bit angry at God because I was thinking to myself, "God, if you are so good, then why is this happening right now?" Because this isn't what I had in store for my family, for my family's life. I thought it was going to be better than this, and all of a sudden, what I thought was going to be the reality wasn't the reality anymore, and I was devastated. I was frustrated. It was the first time that I really called out to God and said, God, I'm, I'm not okay with this. And I remember pressing in and just, just kind of voicing my frustration and my anger to him. In July of 2008, I got a phone call. I was driving back from a mission trip to New Orleans with a group of students in the Dallas area. And my mom called me and she told me that my grandfather had brain cancer. And I remember just being overwhelmed with um, fear. I began to get overwhelmed with concern and grief because I thought to myself man this is this is not good and up to that point in my life I hadn't really ever had to navigate a situation like that I never lost anybody in my family and all of a sudden I was terrified and I thought I'm gonna lose my grandfather to brain cancer I was frustrated I was overwhelmed I was sad I was concerned but God's a healer he's a good God you know it's easy to believe that it's easy to believe that God is a healer until we really need healing you know, it's easy to, to kind of chant and say and post on Facebook that God is a provider until we really need him to provide. I can think to myself, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength until I really need him to give me strength in a situation that I don't have the strength to walk through anymore. And we find ourselves in this place, Mary and Martha are in this place, where they're trying to do the right thing by taking this to Jesus. There's no ICU. There's no electricity. There's no respirators for their brother Lazarus to be treated with. And so in their desperation, they're doing everything they can to try to keep him alive. And so they run to Jesus because it wasn't good. And so they go to Jesus. And in verse four, it says, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for the, for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified Like, this is good news, right? Jesus says, I got this, and this is not going to end in death. Don't worry about this. In other words, if it's not good, I'm not done. I'm not finished. Don't lose hope. Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. I think it's important for us to pause right here and just reflect on that for a second. John adds this on purpose. He puts this in here on purpose because when we get overwhelmed... When we get frustrated, we begin to walk into a season of devastation or fear. One of the first things we can begin to do is to doubt that God loves us, that our Heavenly Father cares about what's going on in our lives. We begin to doubt that. It begins to shake us up. It's hard to believe this when things are falling apart. So John puts that in there on purpose. He wants us to recognize that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So in verse 6, So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Now this is bizarre. He hears that his friend, we find out later, his friend Lazarus is dying. He is is near death. This is an urgent, crazy situation where they are begging Jesus in their desperation to step onto the scene and do something miraculous. They needed a miracle. And Jesus says, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stays two more days. You know, there's this interesting thing on our cell phones and text messaging called a read receipts. Maybe you call it a read receipt, I call it a read receipt, and I like to think that I'm right all the time because I'm a firstborn. We don't get to argue about that right now. But what's interesting about a read receipt is that you can tell if somebody's read your text message or not, and sometimes it can create some tension. Um, Let me just say this. If you don't have your read receipts turned on on your text messaging service, on whatever it is you use for text messaging, if you have your read receipts turned off, you're shady. And I say that because I have had mine turned off for years. Just last week, I said, you know what? I'm gonna turn them on. I'm gonna let everybody know that I've read their text messages. And now I feel like I'm disappointing people because I'm not responding to their text messages because we've all experienced that before. You, te- you send somebody a text message and then you see they've read my text message at 12.42 p.m. And so as you see that, you're waiting for a response. You're waiting for those little bubbles to start moving on the texting screen. But they never start moving. You don't get a response. But then you get on Facebook. And you see the person that you texted is posting memes about COVID-19 on Facebook. Or they're talking about what their kids are doing on Facebook. Or you see them out jogging down the road. And you begin to get frustrated because what you begin to interpret is that what you sent them in a text message is not that important to them. And so you begin to feel like maybe I'm not very important to them. Listen, um, this is kind of what's happening. This, it, this almost feels that way. And listen, if you have your reader seats, I really don't think you're shady. I'm just trying to have a little bit of fun. But in this situation, Mary and Martha, in their desperation, are reaching out to Jesus. And it says, so he waited two more days. It says that he loved them. And because he loved them, so he then waited two days. It doesn't make sense. Why did he wait? It's almost like Jesus and his disciples are out healing. He's performing miracles. He's doing the ministry that he's been sent to do. And he finds out that his friend is dying and he, they need him right away. And he says, okay, cool. Um, hey, let's keep doing some of the things that we're doing. Let's keep reading. Let's, let, let's go read a book. Let's go take a nap. Let's go have lunch. And then they begin to have a conversation. They begin to discuss. His disciples are confused. And they begin to dialogue about some of what's going on. And Jesus in that dialogue actually says, hey, guys, listen, he's dead. Lazarus Has passed away. And so as we skip down to verse 17, it says this. On his arrival, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, Hey, let's go. And so they show up on the scene in Bethany. And on on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Four days. Now that's late. Some of you, your biggest pet peeve in life is when somebody is late to a, an occasion or to a meeting or something that you have scheduled with somebody and they show up late, that's a pet peeve. That, that just bugs you. I heard a, a good friend of mine say this a couple weeks ago that um, anytime you're late, you need to show up and just say to those that um, you're supposed to be meeting in that time, clearly, I'm not capable of managing the things going on in my life. I mean, Jesus shows up on the scene Four days late. That's losing your job late. And I would say that um when someone has died and they've been in a tomb for four days, it's over. So what Jesus steps into is he steps onto the scene in a completely hopeless situation. There's no hope anymore that Jesus is gonna step onto the scene and perform a miracle and make Lazarus well from his sickness. You see, as we picked up the story in the very beginning, you find Mary and Martha in a time, in a situation where they're, they're overwhelmed, they're desperate, they're concerned, they, they're, they're troubled by what's going on, and there's hope that Jesus is going to show up and he's going to perform a miracle in this specific situation. But now, there's no hope. They're, they've, they've moved on from hope to just simply hopelessness and grieving what has taken place in the life of, the, of their friend and the reality of the future without their friend in their life. So Jesus shows up. You know, for some of us, that might be where you are today. You might be in a place where you feel hopeless. Maybe even just in the last few days, there's been some things that maybe have happened in your life financially. There's been some things that have happened in your life, in in the life of those in your family. And you find yourself in a hopeless situation. Here's what I know because I've been there. That when I find myself in a hopeless situation, oftentimes that's when I really struggle to believe the things that I've heard for years when it comes to faith. Those are the times where I struggle to really trust if God is good and if God is for me, then why am I going through this? And I think it's important that we pay attention here because Jesus shows up onto a scene where there is no hope. There's complete hopelessness. So he shows up after a funeral. He's four days late. Verse 21, you skip down to there says, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's almost like she's looking at Jesus and she's saying, Jesus, you, where were you? I called for you. We were desperate. We needed you. And you didn't show up the way that we thought you were going to show up. And then Jesus begins to respond with uh, some reminders of who he is. I am the resurrection. I am the life. He begins to remind her of the promises. He says, hey, I, I told you this was not going To end in death. In other words, if it's not good, I'm not done. I'm not finished here. And Martha's got to be thinking in her head, but he's in the tomb right now. So it's done. It's finished. It's complete. We've got to figure out how to move on from here. You skip down to verse 32, and Mary, who was a little less, uh, she was a little more reluctant to show up on the scene when Jesus arrived, she stayed back. But then in verse 32, she shows up. And look how she responds. It says when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, "Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died." You know, both of these responses I think are important for us to recognize, because even in their grief, they still went to Jesus. I don't know what everything's been like for you this week or even today. Uh, But I know for myself over the last few days, there's been some times where I've just kind of sat because I've had time to sit. And as I sit, my mind begins to kind of wander. My mind begins to think about some things. And I've gotten into some sad places the last few days. I miss some of the things that I was doing on a regular basis just a few days ago. I love sports. I love to watch sports. But even more than watching just random sports and athletes on TV, I love to, to watch my kids play sports. I love to help coach my kids and help them be better at the sport that they love to play. And I've been a little bit sad about not being able to participate in that at the level that we used to. It's what we did as a family in our free time together. And all of a sudden, that's not there. And it's left me in a place where I start to feel a little bit of grief, sadness. Maybe that's not deep enough, and maybe that's not something you're wrestling with. But we're all wrestling with some sort of grief right now because I know for a fact some of the things that we were participating in, some of the things that we were secure in two, three, four weeks ago we're not so much today. Maybe it's just health. Maybe it's the health of a friend. It's the health of a family member. I know that even on our staff, we've been praying together every single day and there's some overwhelming prayer requests that we're walking through as a staff prayer requests from from people maybe like you that you've sent in that we're praying for. They're heavy, they're painful, and there's legitimate, real grief that we're all experiencing at different levels. Maybe it's the grief that comes because there's been a job loss or you've been furloughed for several weeks or months and there's a real uncertainty of what the future is gonna look like and there's also an uncertainty of what you're going to be able to have and what you maybe have now because you don't know what the future looks like and there's grief attached to that. You know maybe you're a teenager and the grief that you're wrestling with is that you're not getting to hang with your friends like you normally get to you're not getting to go to class you're not getting to uh, participate in extracurricular activities you thought you were going to be going to prom in a few weeks and now that's not even a certainty you're not even sure what graduation may look like and that's those are all things we've looked forward to and all of a sudden they feel like they've been taken away from us I think it's important for us to recognize that in their grief they still went to Jesus they ran to Jesus when they were overwhelmed. They ran to Jesus when the situation became unexpected and they were concerned and terrified for the life of their friend. Now the life of their friend is gone. It is over. It is, it is, it is a hopeless situation. And they are grieving, yet they still go to Jesus. You know, maybe maybe a step that, that you and maybe you and your family need to take together today, um, tomorrow, this week, is a step of just taking your grief to Jesus. Sit down with a notepad and just begin to Write out, express your thoughts, express your concerns, express your questions. Take your doubts. He can handle all of it. That's what Mary and Martha do. I mean, she, she flat out says, Jesus, if you had been here, this wouldn't have turned out this way. My brother would still be alive. I think we can do the same thing. Jesus isn't afraid of our questions. He's not afraid of our concerns. He's not afraid of our doubts. If it's not good, he's not done. Express your sadness. Express those feelings. They're real. We were designed and created to feel. So don't push those back. Let those come out. Take those to him. Voice them to him. It's interesting that they do this. You see that Martha or Mary step on the scene and she still falls on her knees, probably because she's devastated, but there's also this sense of humility of saying, you know what, Jesus, this isn't good. But you're still Jesus and there's still something about you that's unique. There's something about you that's strong, that's powerful, that's set apart. Look at Jesus' response in verse 33. And I think this is important for us to recognize as we're thinking about taking our grief to Jesus. In verse 33, it says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved. That's important. If if you have a Bible in front of you, you wanna circle that, you wanna underline that, highlight that. I wanna come back to that in just a second. It says, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And he says, where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then verse 35, Jesus wept. That's an important part of this passage. And we're going to come back to that in just a second. We're going to connect these things really quick. He was deeply moved and then he wept. Now for some of us, you just need to pause here because you know what, in this time, you're like, I got a little more time and I'm going to start memorizing scripture. And maybe you're like, I don't even know where to start. I don't know what verse to memorize. Boom, two words. John 11:35 Jesus wept. There you go. You've got it made. You can you can brag to your family. Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. Memorize that. Start there. If you skip down to verse 38, again you see this. Jesus once more deeply moved came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. Now, if you're one of the disciples in this moment and You show up on the scene. It's a hopeless situation. There's a dead man in a tomb, and he's been there for four days, and your friend walks over to the tomb, and he says, hey, open up the tomb. Like, open it up. Take away the the, the stone. This is that moment where you begin to kind of distance yourself a little bit. I mean, do you have that friend? Maybe you've got that friend in your life or that acquaintance in your life that if somebody walks up to you and they say, hey, um, aren't you friends with so-and-so? Your response isn't yes or no. Your response is, "Uh, why are you asking? Because they're that person that they just have a tendency to do some things that you're not sure you want people to know that you might be associated with because they kind of live life on the other side of the line. This is probably a moment here where his disciples are thinking, oh man, Jesus has lost his mind. If we had been here earlier, this wouldn't be going on. Now Lazarus is dead and Jesus has the audacity to show up and say, hey, move the stone, y'all. Let's get the stone away. Martha says this, but Lord, ever had that conversation with God? Maybe you're having that conversation right now. God, I wanna trust you. But God, right now, I'm not sure I can trust you. God, I'm not sure that you know what you're doing. God, I don't know that you really are good. I don't know that your plans and your will for my life is really what I thought it was gonna be. God, I think I might know better than you do. That's the conversation that Martha, she's, she's concerned. She's got some doubt. She says, but Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor for he has been there four days. I mean there's decompensation decomposition that's happening with the body of Lazarus in this moment. The, the the literal word that is interpreted in this verse is the word stinketh. He stinketh. Stinketh is a biblical word. So look at your kids. If they smell bad one day, and just say, hey, you stinketh. And the Bible uses that word. So you need to go take a shower. But what she's doing is she's taking a little bit of a stab at Jesus. She's saying, Jesus, he's been there for four days. If you had been here, maybe we wouldn't be dealing with this. Jesus, this isn't a good idea. Jesus, I think I know better than you do in this situation. Jesus, you promised no death. And right now I look at that tomb and my brother is lying in that tomb dead. I thought you were good, but this isn't good. They were overwhelmed. They were devastated. They were struggling. Verse 40, then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe that you will see the glory of God? Jesus probably tilted his head in this moment. He says, did I not tell you? Did I not say that this wasn't going to end in death? He probably looks at his disciples. He's like, hey guys, did, did we not talk about this? I mean, we said that this was not going to be the end. This is not how the situation is going to end. It's not going to end in death. If it's not good, I'm not done. And this isn't good, so I'm not finished. It's so difficult sometimes to take Jesus at his words when we're overwhelmed and the situation doesn't look like we thought it was going to look like as we began to trust and follow Jesus in our lives. And Mary in this moment is probably thinking, I want to trust you, Jesus, but that tomb is full and I don't know if I can believe you right now. Jesus says, did I not tell you? This wasn't going to end in death. Did I not tell you that we would see the glory of God in this situation? So in verse 30, verse 41, it says this, so they took away the stone. They took away the stone. Who's they? Who's they in this passage? They were the people who decided to take Jesus at his word. They were the ones who decided to trust, even if it was just a little bit, to trust Jesus in this moment. I wonder if they were the ones who had heard about Jesus showing up at this marriage celebration that had run out of wine, and Jesus decided to turn the water into 180 gallons worth of wine. And they thought, I remember this, I've heard about this guy, and so I've seen what he's been able to do, I've heard what he's done, and so I'm going to trust him. Maybe they were the ones who had heard about Jesus hanging with thousands of people on a hillside and this little boy walking up with a little bit of food, not enough to feed all these people, and yet Jesus fed all these people. I wonder if they were the ones who had heard the story about the disciples out on the water in the middle of the night, and all of a sudden Jesus comes strolling by, walking on the water. I wonder if they were the ones who had seen or heard about Jesus healing a man with leprosy. I wonder if they were the ones who had heard about or seen Jesus healing a blind man. They were probably ones who had this mindset and they began to think to themselves, I'm not sure what he's about to do, but when he says something, I'm going to trust him because I believe that he is good and that his will is good. And so I'm gonna trust what he's saying. And I believe that he is good and he's probably not done with this. So we're gonna roll this stone away. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out, exclamation mark. That's important for us to recognize. Why did he say Lazarus? Maybe you've heard this before. Scholars have talked about this, but they say it was important that he used the name Lazarus. Lazarus, come out. Because if he hadn't specifically said Lazarus, there were other tombs in the vicinity. And you would have had this scene from The Walking Dead, something where these people just start to come out and they're like, hey, what's up, Jesus? Did you, did you need something? I mean, this is just this bizarre scene, but he specifically calls on Lazarus. He says, Lazarus, come out. Now in this moment, I believe the disciples and everybody that's kind of watching, they're thinking to themselves, Jesus has lost his mind. The dead man came out. I mean, I just picture the scene. They're all sitting there they've distanced themselves from Jesus. They've got their arms crossed, their hands over their face, and they're thinking, Oh my gosh, I cannot believe this guy. Can you believe what, he's, he's trying to get a dead man to come out of a tomb. Are you serious? Oh, oh shoot. Like all of a sudden, Lazarus starts coming out. It says, His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Translation, God is good and I can trust him. You know, it's interesting. Jesus, Raises a man from the dead. And even immediately after he raises him from the dead, he says, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. He wants him to not have anything to do with anything connected to death. He wants it all to be gone. He steps onto the scene and he does something unique. He does something miraculous because they needed a miracle and it was a miracle that they didn't even realize they needed. Maybe you're thinking, Wes, what's your point with all of this? Where Where are you trying to land this thing? Was Lazarus getting sick good? No, not at all. Was Mary Martha getting upset good? Absolutely not. Was Lazarus dying good? No. Was Jesus showing up late on the scene good? No. But all of these things worked together for the good and the resurrection of a dead man. And so Jesus was up to something and he was using this not just to raise a man back to life, but so that the glory of God would be seen because that was more important than Lazarus having his life back. It was more important that people would see and understand that God is good and his work is good and his will for our life is good and it is best. I think Mark even said it, the bestest. God's will, God's plans, God's work in us is the best work, is the best plan for our life. And Jesus is helping us see this. He's helping them see this on that day. You know, my my, my own life was my mom struggling with her health when I was in high school a good thing? Absolutely not. Was my parents divorcing and and moving away from each other a good thing? Absolutely not. It was devastating. Was my grandfather getting terminal cancer in 2008 good? No, but I do know this, that if he hadn't ever been diagnosed with cancer, I'm not sure he ever would have truly understood who Jesus was because he was a man that was strong, who had controlled the situation in his life, And it took something that was beyond his control for him to open his eyes and recognize that there's a Jesus who loves him and who cares about him, who is good and wants good things for him so that he could surrender his life to Jesus before he lost his life on this earth. It wasn't good, but God wasn't done. Was my wife walking through a battle with cancer a few years ago good? No, it wasn't good. But can I tell you that in every single one of those situations that didn't feel good in the moment, I've seen God work in that. I've seen his goodness at work. I've seen his will go a direction. I didn't anticipate it was gonna go and it didn't always feel good. It was really frustrating at times. But I can reflect back and I can see where the glory of God has been seen in those situations. I wanna kind of land with this. If you go back, I told you to circle or underline or kind of make note of a few things. And the first one was simply this, Jesus wept. Verse 35, I mean, isn't that kind of strange? Isn't that interesting? Why did Jesus weep? I mean, Jesus has two things that you and I don't have. The first one is simply this. He has an understanding of how things were going to end up. He knew what was going to happen. He knew what the end result was going to be, yet he found himself crying anyways. He also had the power over death. He had the ability to change the situation. So why was Jesus emotional? I think it's important for us to see that he was concerned for his friends. He was concerned for us. He cares about what we care about. He cares about what we're going through right now. He's a personal God. He's a God who wants to be involved. He's connected with us. He's right there. It's important for us to see that and then you you look at verses 33 and 38 and in both verses it says that he was deeply moved what that means it means that there was this this emotion there was this desire where he almost this this angry motivation he was deeply moved i mean think about it this way somebody tries to attack your children or somebody tries to attack your spouse or your parents somebody really dear and close to you and you are going to go on their defense There's this motivation that just kind of wells up inside of us that's unique, that's different, that can't be stopped. This is what Jesus does in the situation. He's deeply moved because he's so deeply concerned for you and me. And so he steps onto the scene to do something that only he can do to take matters into his own hands. And then in verse 43, it says that he shouts at death. He says, Lazarus, come out. What he's doing is he's not yelling at Lazarus. He's yelling at death because death had control of Lazarus. And in that moment, because Jesus was deeply concerned, because he cares deeply about you and me, he did what only he could do. He took matters into his own hands and he steps onto the scene and he commands death. You have no hold over Lazarus, so you've got to go. And Lazarus comes back to life. And he has life again. And all of a sudden, we have a different perspective of things. Because here's the reality. Lazarus was going to take his last breath on this earth at some point again. And so it wasn't just about raising Lazarus back to life. It was pointing us to a man named Jesus who gave his life, who also went to a tomb, but came back to life on the third day. So that we would have a different perspective, even when we're walking through a time like we're walking through right now. That's what he wants us to see. He wants us to see the glory of God in the miracles that we get to experience in our life. I'll close with this. This week our staff were praying through the verse 2 Chronicles 7:14. Think about that. If it's not good, God's not done. In the context of this verse, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. I've seen that verse a lot on Facebook. I've seen a lot of people talking about it. There's been conversations and I know that a lot of us are praying this prayer, but there's, a, there's something important for us to recognize. It's not just the healing physically that we're praying for. We're praying that our land would be healed. What that means is we're praying that we would have a new perspective that we would recognize that we would see the glory of God as as, as things around us kind of get pushed away, things that we thought were important, maybe things we'd be used to worship at one point because we thought we'd find security and value and worth in those things. And all of a sudden those things aren't something we have anymore. And so we've we've seen those things pushed away. And so maybe it's an opportunity for us to really press into God and to have our eyes opened by him so that we can see that he is good and that he's not done. And so we begin to press into this prayer and we're praying that, God, it's not good. And we know you're not done. And so we're praying that you would use this to heal our land, not just physically. I mean, we're praying that the virus would just go away. And I believe that God has the power to do that with the snap of his fingers. But more importantly, we're praying that people's eyes would be open to who he is in this time that's devastating, overwhelming, grieving, painful, that we would see him because that's the miracle that we need. God is good and I can trust him. If it's not good, God's not done. Will you trust him? Will you give him control of your life? Let him, ha- let, him, let him take over everything. That's the move he's calling us to take. We're gonna wrap up our time today by just sitting and reflecting and listening to this song. It's an old song, great is thy faithfulness. And so here's my challenge, I'm gonna pray and after I pray, the band is gonna sing this song and I just want you to reflect on the lyrics, reflect on the words that are being spoken, this truth that's being sung over you and let this just be a source of confidence and maybe you just need to take your grief to God in this moment. God, this is what's painful. This is what's overwhelming. And then just let these words kind of stir in your mind and just kind of repeat throughout the day, throughout this week. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. God, we thank you even for this crisis, for this pandemic. It's been uh, difficult. It's been painful. Um, it's been sad. But God, we haven't lost hope because we know that you have power over everything including death so we believe that it's not good and we know that you're not done so we're just praying that you would work in this that you would show yourself in this you would do whatever it takes to open the eyes of those who don't know you yet so they can begin to to trust you would you use us would you use this church would you use these people who claim to be followers of you to make yourself known in our city in our state in our nation all around the world God, in just the next few minutes, as we listen to the lyrics of the songs, the band sings, would you speak to us? Would you give us confidence? Would you give us faith? Would you shape something in us that's rich, that's strong, that's unmovable because it's of you? We love you. We trust you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.